Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And I am looking out my studio window right now on a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day in Portland, Oregon. Oh my gosh, the sky is as blue as can be. supposed to hit 70 today, which is absolutely fabulous. And, you know, it's hard to look at this and think about what's going on in our world today. And we're going to talk a little bit about grief. But before we do, I wanted to share a quick little story with you because sometimes, you know, things come up and we're reminded of of something in our life that happened. And, you know, we, we forget about things from time to time. And we have a lot of time now, it seems like. So um, I wanted to share this one little story. And it's it's about a time when God stopped the clock. And I, I know that sounds weird, but there's actually a story here. So I was speaking in Indianapolis. And one of the absolute kisses of death for a, a professional speaker is to go over your allotted time. If they hire you to speak 45 minutes to an hour, you speak 45 minutes to an hour. And if you're going to err on one side or the other, go less. <laughs> never, never, ever go over because they're counting on you being done on time so you don't mess up the rest of their program. And one time I was on stage in Indianapolis, as I said, and I was speaking. I was supposed to speak for an hour. And I was just about done with my speech. I looked at my clock or my watch. I had 15 minutes to go. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what am, what's going on here? <laughs> I got to come up with 15 more minutes. So I, I kind of dug deep into my, my soul and pulled a story out that, um, need I guess, just kind of got me through that next 15 minutes. But um, then when I got off the stage, I realized that my watch – which was completely reliable, had stopped 15 minutes, or it just stopped. It just came to a, a stop. And when I got off the stage, it started again. So it just kind of stopped and started for absolutely no rhyme or reason. But it was in that 15 minutes when I told this this final story, thinking I had to come up with 15 more minutes of content. Well, a couple days later, I got an email from a woman who had attended that meeting or that, that convention. And she told me that that last story that I told was exactly the story that she needed to hear to prepare her heart for what she was about to experience when she got home. When she got home from the the meeting that day, she had found out as she walked through the door that her very best friend had been killed on 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 a bicycle. He'd been hit by a car. And she was absolutely devastated. But she said that that last story that I told was the one that prepped her heart for it without even realizing what her heart was being prepped for. And I know I remember that moment when I read that. It's like, oh, you know, that had to have been something that was way beyond me. Um, But, you know, I I wanted to share that story with you because right now for a lot of us, it feels like the clock is kind of stopping. I mean, there's, you know, we get stressed by all the stuff that we do in our lives day to day, just constantly busy, constantly. And then we now we we're, we're have all this time on our hands for some of us. Some of us don't. But 
Uh, for a lot of us, we have all this time, and now we're stressed because we don't know what to do with it all. So it's just an interesting thing. But, you know, sometimes God slows down our clock so we can stop, take a look around, see what needs are out there, and listen to your heart and listen listen to what messages you're being you're being led to deliver and to share with people because we have a little more time than we used to have to do some of this stuff. So I, I wanted to share that. I, you know, it just came up a couple of days ago that that story had happened. I'd forgotten about it. Um, so anyway, with that, we're going to move on and, and I'm going to introduce our guest today. And we're going to talk about maybe a little bit of a tough subject, but, um, you know, there's always humor and everything. So I know we're going to hear some funny things too. Um, but our guest today is going to talk to us about processing grief. Paul Bright is a mental health clinical specialist in the California Bay Area. And in this last decade, Paul has worked with veterans, homeless, and foster children to help improve mental health and behavioral needs towards a much more fulfilling life. Paul combines his education, two master's degree in counseling, and concentration on marriage and family therapy and organizational leadership, which I studied in college, by the way, and leadership experience through 17 years combined of active duty Air Force and federal civil service to fuel his podcast called Bright Insights. What a very clever name. I love that. It's currently in its second season. Bright Insights offers expert advice from Paul and special guests to help new leaders develop the skills needed for less stress and more success, which is his tagline. I love that tagline, less stress and more success. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining my show today. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I, I feel honored. Well, we're just delighted. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, the stuff that I didn't talk about. Um, and first off, I want to thank you for your service. I really mean that. I've got a son that I, we have a military family and a lot of people in our family. And so I really value and cherish the work that you do, you know, did in that. So let's talk a little bit about your stuff you want to tell us about that maybe isn't in that intro, just so we can get to know you a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, I, too, grew up in a military family. My grandfather and father were both in the Air Force. So I spent a lot of my childhood in the Philippines. Mm. Uh, and then we moved to the United States. We moved back and forth in the Philippines, the United States, and finally uh, settled in North Carolina for junior high through undergrad college. And then I decided after undergrad, you know, uh Bachelor's in psychology doesn't pay much right now. I should, I should, you know, serve my country and then maybe get the GI Bill and let's see how far away I can go. And I ended up getting stationed only three hours south to South Carolina. Um, so then I said, okay, well, maybe I'll just stay in four years. And uh, 10 years later, I uh, had a family and then we moved to California. Well, the Air Force moved me to California, which okay. I didn't want to come to because of all the fires and earthquakes I used to see on the news. And then we got here and I was like, this isn't, this isn't so bad. So yeah, beautiful. To stay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, good. And, then, uh, and I hear I hear no southern accent at all. So I'm thinking yeah, either you didn't pick it up or you shook it off. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Yeah, it's well, you know, with some of us military brats, you know, we adapt where we're at. So and I've been here 13 years. You know, I actually understand what the wines are called, why they're named after grapes. These are things I didn't know until I moved to California. So, <laughs> love it. <laughs> love yeah, it. Yeah, love it. All right. That's great. Well, Paul, tell us a little bit now about what you do and, you know, how you started with the kind of work that you're in right now. You just, you know, came from somewhere, right? 
Right. Yeah. Well, I am a currently right now I'm a mental health uh, clinical specialist. I work for a local government here in the Bay Area. My current job is I coordinate mental health and behavioral services for foster care children and other kids that have come out of foster care or they've had some you know uh, trouble growing up and their parents are getting extra help from the social services. And so what I do is I make sure that all the care that they get, whether they're in one house or another within within the local government area that I work with, uh, that they don't lose that type of care. So if they get moved from one house and they had a therapist there and they get moved to another house and they don't have a therapist that was actually helping them, I make sure that it stays on track and that we have team meetings. I coordinate and facilitate those. Um, so oh, that, that's you know, once, wonderful. Once they land somewhere permanent, then they can, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have all those tools that they need to get better. Oh, that's that's really great. So how how did you get into this line of work? What what inspired you? Well, um, even as a kid, uh, my parents told me I was a, a, a decent listener. I would pick up stuff from adults and could have adult conversations, whether I should have been having them or not. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I went to undergrad to be an art major. Uh, which was interesting to have parents that encouraged that. And I, I spent one summer working for a 4-H summer camp, and I started working with children there and saw some of the hardships that they went through. And then I came back, I was like, I, I can't be an art major. I got to be a psych major. And so <laughs> I pursued my undergrad in psych. And then just as time went on and, and my time in the military, I didn't even work in mental health in the military, uh, but it was towards the end when we got here, I had some time to pursue grad school. And uh, that just led me down the path to getting out of the military and serving some time in civil service while I finished up my my degrees. And then I landed my first uh, full paying job about five years ago. And uh, that's how I got here. Well, there you go. So, Paul, you've had some personal experiences with grief in your life. I think we all we all have. Um, I'd be interested to know if you would share with our audience kind of some of the things that you went through um, that, you know, maybe you found some some help in all of this. So can you share share any of that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Two years ago, I lost my father. He had been battling a, a, a long illness, and we think it may have started uh, maybe decades ago, and it just ultimately led to his being hospitalized for a few months and, and his death. Um, even in my work, uh, one of my previous jobs, I worked with a homeless client who had suicidal thoughts before, and he was a, an older gentleman, and we thought we had everything all the tools that we could give him to help battle those. And one day I, I, I get a call from one of his roommates that, that said that he had killed himself. Oh. And it wasn't too long after that, that I had another client who had been physically ill as well as mentally ill. Um, and just one last time in the hospital and then he died. So that's, that's been our recent experiences with grief. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of loss in a short period of time. You know, for for such a young person too, because I don't know how old you are, but I'm judging from your picture that you're not that old. So, um, <laughs> for you to have lot to have that much loss in such a short time is is really sad. So, let, let's talk about before we kind of get into the how we fix this and what it, some of the symptoms. I want to ask you about, you know, with everything going on right now. Um, with the coronavirus and people being told to stay home, some people have actually lost their jobs. Others are working from home. Um, what what do you, what do you see happening, you know, in the workplace with all this stuff? And and is it having an impact on the clients 
that you work with and, and just kind of how does it impact society in general? I know that's a doozy of a question, but <laughs> it's good. It's a very good question. And thank you. Um, there's a lot of impact just at my job level. So, uh, Obviously, the foster kids are, are with parents, and some of them work, and then some some of the children have just recently been returned to parents' reunification. The parents did all the steps they needed to get, to get there, uh, and then now these parents are getting laid off. So now the schools are closing, and so now the appointments that these children would go to or the help they, they would get while they're in school is no longer there. And even myself, when I check in and coordinate with teams uh, where I live in, particularly, we're not allowed to do uh, home visits unless it's one-on-one outside with a six-foot distance, which is really, 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 really hard to do. So now we're coordinating care through video chats and everything, but this is just mm-hmm. all recent. So the, the face-to-face connection that these kids would have that would give them the safety and security and reassurance, mm-hmm. they're not getting that anymore. And also... Um, the some of the even some of the community-based organizations that my local government contracts out to help some of them are being laid off so now the kids are losing the providers that they've known so it's it's Uh, definitely getting there yeah yeah and i know a lot of the a lot of the um schools like in boston or we have family in boston and they've got some really big programs there for kids um, that maybe they have a meal program. So the kids right. go there, they get they get free breakfast and free lunch when they go to school. And now that they're not going to school, a lot of those kids don't have those meals. And I don't know what's happening in their home life that that maybe, you know, maybe that's an improvement now. I, I don't know. Do you have any experience with any of that? Just trying to get a, a better understanding of some of, some of the other things going on right now. Right. So. Um, well, our local area has been fortunate that the schools have set up a, a pickup point so that they know that some kids don't get their meals at home. They're not used to getting meals at home and they were qualified for free meals. So uh, a few of the schools here have said, OK, from this hour to this hour, you know, anybody with a kid under 18 can come pick up a bag lunch and bring it home, which has mm-hmm. been really good. Um, yeah. So that, that's been really helpful, very supportive. And a lot of the schools have been, you know, issuing out Chromebooks and, and having the teachers connect with the with the kids. So the, the education mm-hmm. part where I'm at is is getting a lot of good support. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's talk about why people grieve. I mean, this is, you know, besides what's going on right now, losing their job, what are what are some of the reasons that people grieve? I mean, I know some of it's obvious, but we're going to talk about it anyway. So right. <laughs> let's talk. Let's just kind of go right. through in your experience. What What are some of the things that people grieve over? Right. Um, well, most of us, again, we're we're very experienced, at least knowing that you're going to grieve over losing a loved one. Um, mm-hmm. But you can also grieve over losing something that seems as simple as a routine. Um, your job. You can grieve over losing a pet, uh, losing a body part losing something that you're just used to that's become a significant part of your daily life and when it's suddenly gone or you know that it's going you can go through a very similar if not the exact same process as somebody goes through when they grieve the loss of a loved one yeah it's it's tough so i I love your theme you have a theme that says you don't get over it you get through it what does that mean to you well, what that means to me is something that we're going to talk about a little bit later, and that, that grief isn't a problem that you solve. Uh, 
it's just a response. It's a natural response in life when you lose anything. And it's more of a feeling. And, and nobody can really tell you how to feel about something. They can't say that your feeling is wrong. Your feeling is going to be your feeling. So mm-hmm. it's not something that you can solve as a problem and get over. It's something you get through because grief is stages that you can go back and forth through. Yeah, and you mentioned something about stages, and we'll talk about that in the next segment because we're coming up on our break. But, um, you know, it's something that's very real to the person that is experiencing it. And, you know, I think that until you've felt something similar, it's hard to know how to how to help that person, what to say to them. I mean, I've, I've heard people say things like, oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You'll get over this, yeah, you know. Right. You know, it, they probably will, you know, eventually. But it's it's not an easy process. And we're all kind of experiencing this whole coronavirus thing differently. And, you know, and we all have all of this. And then what do you do when you add a cancer diagnosis on top of it? So I don't want you to answer that right now. We're going to come back to that. We are going to go ahead and take a break. So um, yeah, this is this is going to be really great conversation, Paul. I'm really excited to have you here. So stay tuned. We will be back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, 
Back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about, or we're going to talk about the stages of grief with our guest, um, Paul Bright. But before we do, before we move into that segment, Paul, I want to ask you a question. And I think that especially now with so many people working from home and it's so easy to internalize our jobs and we, you know, t- I mean, I know at Breast Friends that you, sometimes you run into a case with a, a patient where you just, you just, your heart just goes out and you, you just, you know, you kind of live with it for a while. So how do you, as a counselor who deals with this stuff all day, day in and day out, how do you kind of pack it up and put it away so you don't bring it home with you and, and you probably are working out of your home right now, I presume. So how do you how do you leave it somewhere so you don't just live with all this this stuff all day long? How do you do that well, or all night? <laughs> That's a very good question. And it is very, very tough to do because this is a job that requires some sort of sensitivity and emotional connection to make a difference. If you don't understand or try to understand what the children are going through, what the parents are going through, what the caregivers are going through at an emotional level, how can you even make an impact? And so we do, in a sense, leave ourselves vulnerable to that. Vulnerable to that. Uh, so we're encouraged, thank goodness, like even from all the supervisors I've had in this field, to take some breaks throughout the day, to take some time for self-care, to not think about things for a little bit and give your your the emotional side of your brain a rest. Um, for me, there are sometimes we have tough cases where uh, I'm I'm in tears, or it's the middle of the day, and, and a lot of times it's because there's help that kids that I I want to work with that I can't give them, uh, and I don't have a resource for them, and it's very frustrating. And so, two things that have been helpful is being able to vent with other coworkers in the same field. Um, I'm also fortunate; my wife at home, she works in a similar type of field, and it's like as long as I keep everything confidential, uh, I can talk to her about my feelings about certain cases and we can go back mm-hmm. and forth. Uh, another thing I do is a lot of times I won't go straight home. Uh, if I'm off at five, I may not leave. I may not go home straight away. I might take 30 minutes to go walk around the park or uh, interestingly enough in, in your bio, you said you sing. I also sing. Uh, so singing is a big hobby of mine um, that I'll do. Uh, I'll go walk around. I'll shop in thrift stores, whatever I do to take my mind off of it and get my emotional self uh, recentered back. Or I may sit in my car and cry or yell or whatever I got to do to get that stress part of it out so that it doesn't all come home with me and I can be fully present with my own family. You know, that's great advice for all of us, isn't it? You know, I mean, going for walks, we always hear about the power of going for a walk, how it can really clear your head. But that that's great. That's, that's a good reminder. So thank you for that. Well, let's let's move on to the stages of grief. And I, the reason I'm just going to kind of cut right to that is because our segments seem to be short when I have really wonderful guests. So <laughs> I want to just kind of get to this. So, Paul, um we're all going through various stages of, of grief right now for different reasons for, you know, not, I don't want to say all that's very generic, but, um, but I just, I, I think that we can all use a little dose of understanding what this is. And, you know, and I also want to speak specifically to our cancer patients right now because they have an added layer besides all this coronavirus stuff, you know, we have doctor appointments and treatments and things, and now we can no longer even bring our, caregiver with us I have an appointment this afternoon for an infusion I can't take my husband in he has to either sit out in the car and wait for me or whatever and that's 
that's hard because he's always been such a comfort to have him right there sitting in the chair right next to me. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to have him there. So, you know, we're all, we're adding that component to it as well. And so it's like, ah, you know, and for a lot of people, it gets to be too much. And so there are different stages of grief that we go through for any kind of a loss, whether it's cancer or, you know, loss of our health, loss of a loved one, as you said, all those different things. So let's, why don't let's, let's just start and kind of go through the stages and describe what they are in detail and, you know, and I, I think we can all kind of figure out where we're at in this process. But, um, but yeah, if we could just go there, that'd be fabulous. Absolutely. And, and you know, and if you don't mind, I can give a little personal example uh, sure. with each stage so that it sort Absolutely. of lines up and helps people, you know. <clears throat> so most of, most of what we're working with now is the five-stage model. And the quick overview is the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance and so with denial it starts with not even wanting to accept the loss the the loss happened but you're not wanting to take it in or see it um, with my dad I kind of knew we all knew that he was heading towards an, an early death uh, just because of his illness and how it was progressing with him and the different things that were happening and so in a way we were almost uh, preparing for it to happen and then we had his final bout in the hospital it was sort of like well, we know this is going to happen. We just don't know when. Uh, however, with, with my uh, client that killed himself, even though we knew he had suicidal tendencies, I think I look back and I first got the message at two in the morning and I look at a text and I see it said so-and-so is dead. And it just didn't register in my mind. I went back to sleep. And that's not something that you would read and necessarily go back to sleep for. But somewhere in my mind didn't want to accept that it happened. And so even when I woke up, I had to wait a couple hours and go, I don't think that's what I read. And I look back and no, that is exactly what I read. And so I had to start making phone calls and, and sure enough, he did. He did kill himself. So wow. that was, yeah. So that was my experience with the denial stage is that you really don't want to accept the loss, even though it's right there in front of you. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I can understand that. You know, sometimes we get a diagnosis of, of cancer in a certain way and the very first thing you think of is, no, that that can't be. You know, I, I remember the very first time I was diagnosed back in 1996. I was I was stunned. It's like, no, this can't be. I mean, I'm 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 healthy. I'm I'm busy. <laughs> I got appointments today. <laughs> you know, I remember feeling <laughs> yeah. all those things, and and it yes. seems like it took a little while to to kind of get past that. But okay, right. and so the next one is anger. So what happens then? Well, ang- anger is that you become very angry uh, with the loss, but it starts getting directed in different directions towards a person or a job. You might blame someone else. You might even blame God. Uh, you might blame yourself. Uh, you know, I've had friends that, like you, they got the cancer diagnosis and, and denied it, and they were even angry about it. Like, I'm only 30 years old. How can I get this diagnosis? I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, I lost a friend a couple of years ago to a mesothelioma. Uh, mesothelioma and, and he was in denial because he was somebody that did a lot of crossfit he ate right and everything and then he has this form of lung cancer and he never even smoked a cigarette in his life so there was there was some anger there and and so it's a very natural thing to be angry because of the loss yeah i i can under i do understand that i i yes um okay let bargaining bargaining is the next one right right and so bargaining what happens in that stage is you start thinking about 
if I had done this, this wouldn't happen. If I could trade places with this, then the loss wouldn't have happened. If only we had gone here sooner. I wish I could just go back in time and go left instead of right, and then this wouldn't have happened. Or if I had just waited five more minutes, if I could have five more minutes, I would have that phone call that would have stopped so-and-so from getting into that car crash. Uh, and so we, we go through this this uh, mind uh, experience where we're trying to see what we could have traded instead to prevent the loss from happening. And, you know, for me, it was like, did I go see my client enough? Did I see him enough to check on? Uh, did I not accept, mm. you know, when he said I'm, I'm doing okay and all his roommates and the house manager is saying he's doing okay? Um, did I not dig hard enough? Or even with my dad, it was like, did I not push him enough to go to the hospital? Did we not all try? I wish I would have forced him to go. I wish I could have uh, tried to at least file a grave endangerment uh you know, paperwork, whatever it would have taken to get him to the hospital sooner. So we start doing this sort of bargaining thing. And, and unfortunately, that starts to bring on some guilt. Oh, and that's, that guilt never helps anything, does it? I mean, that's no, just, it doesn't. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this thing with, with bargaining and, and not pushing hard enough, it's, it's such a natural thing for us to say to our friends who are going through something tough, you know, how are you doing? And the friend says, oh, I'm fine. And you know that they're not really, but it's easier just to leave it there. It's easy to say, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And then you just move on to the next topic. But, you know, I think it takes a real friend to be able to push that envelope just a little further and say, so how are you really doing? I mean, I know that's the public answer, but how are you really doing? And, you know, I've had some, some experiences with people doing that for me. And I say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. You know, yeah, you wouldn't even know I was sick. And people go, yeah, but how are you really? You know, what, what are you, how are you coping with this? And tell me about your day, and, you know. And then yeah. they, really get, they really get to the heart of it. And that's hard because then once you get to the heart of it, you have to kind of help do something. And, and that becomes challenging. So sometimes I think we, we kind of let that go a little bit because it's hard to know what to do. Do you find that at all? I mean, you're a counselor, so you would know what to do. But um, do you? Well, find- honestly, oh, to be honest, I wouldn't. I wouldn't always know what to do. Uh, we only can work with the information that we have, and we can suspect and 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 uh, want to do things. But we can we get just as stuck as other people do. If we don't have the information in front of us, then we can't even try to help. And yeah, absolutely. And I'm just as guilty of telling people everything's good, everything's okay, everything's fine. Uh, but the loss of my father helped me break away from that because me being the oldest of the two children, me being the, the, the quote unquote rock, the one that everyone was going to, like, what do we do? How do we, how do we get this funeral off? Because you're on the West Coast and, and he was living on the East Coast. Uh, but when people started asking me how I was doing, I was like, I'm not fine. I am absolutely not fine right now, but I will get through this and we will get through this and my time to cry will be later. So you just kind of have to be real. Yeah, and, and real is hard sometimes. You know, it's yes. easy to, yeah. we have a public persona we want people to see and know about, and the other stuff gets kind of hidden, <clears throat> excuse me, deep inside somewhere, and, and we don't always want it to, to show, I guess. But, you know, you, you had mentioned something to me about a story about your dad's funeral. Is that, is this, can you tell, me, tell us about that? Uh, a story about my dad's funeral? Yes. Wasn't there something that you had mentioned to me earlier when we talked about your dad's funeral? Um, um, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, never mind. It'll probably... <laughs> you, said, you had a, cra- a crazy funeral situation or something. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it wasn't the funeral. It was uh, when he passed away. So this is actually kind of funny. Uh, you know, I don't know what other people's beliefs are out there. And I didn't really put a whole lot of faith in getting signs from above. Um, but I got the call. Uh, I think it was like a Saturday morning. And I had just gotten back from visiting him. I'd flown from the East Coast back to the West Coast. And it was maybe Wednesday. And I was like, I don't know much how much longer he has. And then as soon as we got the call, from the hospital, I knew that was the call for them to tell me that he had passed away. And, you know, it was really sad. I had to call everybody else and I was sitting down. It was about six o'clock at night and I was like, I really want a Big Mac. I want a Big Mac with a large Coke and large fries. I'm like, this is not my normal diet. That's something that I might eat once a year is that specific meal. And it's not even that big. And I was really craving it. I was almost going to send my daughter out to get it. I was like, no, I'm going to put my shoes on. I'm going to go get it. And then I stopped and it went away. And I was like, I was really hungry for that. And then it goes away. I was like, what? And then I started laughing. I was like, that is typically what my dad would do in the middle of the night was he would get up and he would just go get some meal like that, eat it and pass back out. And I just started laughing. I was like, he was just letting me know he's doing good. That is so funny. He was sending you a little sign, wasn't he? (laughs) Sending me a little sign. I'm I'm fully convinced that that was him sending me a sign from above. I was like, I'm good. I'm in a better spot now. That's wonderful. I love I love that. I, and I, I know that that was not part of what we were going to talk about in the segment, but I just, you mentioned yeah. funeral, and I thought, wait a minute, yeah. wasn't there some story about your, your dad's funeral? Yeah. Okay, so That's let's true. go back to the five, sta- the five stages again. So we, we right. talked about bargaining, wanting to trade mm-hmm. places, you know, trading right. other things to, you know, I'll do this if you do that, you know, God, what, you know, how, what do you think about that? You know, I, I understand that, and I think that we've, probably all been through that kind of stage as well at different times in our life so the next one i believe is depression is that right yes it's another stage and uh depression uh symptoms of depression are are very very normal when this happens where there's isolation uh you lack sleep or you sleep too much uh the things that you normally would uh have fun doing you just don't want to do them anymore you might even have some suicidal ideations pass through your head it's like what if it was me you know i don't know if i can take this anymore Uh, there might be a lot of fidgeting that goes on a a loss of appetite for sure this is part of the stages of grief is because you've lost something significant and, and isolation is another big thing that happens in, in this stage. Uh, lots of frequent crying. If you're not a crier, that might be the time where you start crying all the time. Every little thing sets you off. You go by, maybe I would drive by McDonald's or something and, and just start crying and be like, what's going on with me and not want to be anywhere near another McDonald's or in the case of my client that killed himself, we, the last happy day that he had with me, uh, we were at a park feeding geese. And so I drive by that park and I just get a little shudder like, Oh my gosh, you know, what, why is that happening? And then I wouldn't want to go do anything else that day. So yeah, depression is definitely a real stage of, of the grief process. So depression, I mean, I know that there's like sadness and then it can, yeah crossover into depression they are two different things though right i mean you can be sad through this through this whole thing right Um, you know but then when depression hits it it feels different and you know and you you can cry at pretty much everything (laughs) you know i can sometimes we watch a video of a cute little dog and we start crying (laughs) right of course i cry at hallmark commercials always have so (laughs) hard, hard to use that as my guide um okay so that's that's good and then the last step finally is acceptance and acceptance is that point where you've decided uh 
you hadn't forgotten the person, and I might dig into that to that a little bit later. Uh, but you've decided that now is the time to try to move forward in my life and say, okay, you know what? I don't have this job. I don't have this car anymore. I don't have this pet anymore. I don't have this person that I lost anymore. I've got to start doing things to move forward my life. Maybe you have another family to take care of. Maybe you have your own health to take care of. But you just accept it and you start to to move forward. And that's and that's I, lo- I like that. It's, you're not saying that you forget the other person. It's not about forgetting them. It's just about you know learning to live with this current situation. And, yeah. and moving beyond. So um, that, you know, this is this is so helpful because, it, you know, again, we all experience loss in different ways and different kinds of loss. But those stages, those feel very real to me that everything you're telling me just makes perfect sense. And then you, you talked about um, earlier, you mentioned it kind of briefly, but it's not it's not it's stages. It's not steps. You're not going yes. through steps that, okay, that one's done, check. Okay, what's next? Check. So talk about that for just a minute. Well, actually, let's not. Let's pick that up on the other side of the break because we are right on it. So let's do that because I think there's probably some like, some healthy conversation we can have there. So, so stay tuned. We will be back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We're talking about the stages of grief with our guest, Paul Bright. And just before we went out to, to break, Paul, we were talking just kind of briefly about these stages of grief are stages, not steps. So can you just address that for a couple minutes? Yeah, yes. And it, it really goes back to you don't, you don't get over it, you get through it. Uh, so you go through these stages and they can be very fluid. Like I was saying about the difference between me grieving the loss of my dad and grieving the loss of my client. Uh, denial didn't take very long for my dad, but it took forever with my client and even acceptance on both ends. And you, it, so they're fluid. You, you're going to go through them, but you may not be in one much longer than the other, or you may be stuck in one stage for a very, very long time until you get to acceptance. And even when you get to acceptance, you may end up getting new information or new life experience that brings you back to denial, brings you back to bargaining. Um, so that's what I mean by you don't you don't get over them, you get through them. And I believe, at least personally for me, I felt like I was getting through it the best when, if I went back to a stage, I wasn't there very long, other than acceptance. Well, that, and yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. So basically what you're telling us is that don't think of it as a to-do list where you, right. you go through the, you check them off as you go. Okay, so this one's done, next, this one's done, next. Um, so it's not that. It's, you can't, it can just kind of come up and, and sweep us away at times when we weren't really expecting anything to happen or some memory of something and, and kind of suddenly there we are again. Is, am I yeah. hearing you correctly? Is that what Absolutely. you're saying? Absolutely. And, and one of my younger friends that uh, that went through her breast cancer experience, she was only in her 20s and she had you know, she had a mastectomy and um, she had a hard time dealing with that, being that young and having to go through chemo and losing all her hair because before that she had been a model. Uh, so this was difficult for her, but she also had a very big sense of humor. And so when she got to the acceptance stage that she had lost her breast, she decided that she was going to get a tattoo underneath where it was and said, coming soon, boob 2.0. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not sure everybody sees that as humorous, but I do. And I think that if we can laugh about our circumstances, even in some little way, anything that puts a smile on our face is is definitely worthy of, of yes. keeping in our in our repertoire so I think that that's wonderful I love that and she had it actually tattooed on her yes that's beautiful right. <laughs> that, is, so, that is beautiful you, yeah yeah much appreciation to her yeah absolutely so let's switch gears a little bit and talk and, and you actually helped us a little bit in the beginning when you talked about how you go home you don't go home necessarily right away you stop and this is how you process so let's talk about how to process grief because you know it's one thing to understand what it is understand the side the stages of it but what do we do about it you know how let's let's talk about kind of the thing that's on a lot of people's minds right now about grief in the workplace you know you just got laid off you just got your hours just got cut you know whatever so how do we handle that grief 
Well, uh, that's a really good question. And, and I do talk about it a little more in depth on my podcast. I had recently done an episode about grief because it's, my podcast is about helping new leaders develop. And for new leaders in this position where they may have just started a business or just took over management or something, and now you're hit with this coronavirus and people are losing jobs left and right. You had coworkers that were there one day and then gone the next, not necessarily from death, but just they got laid off. So it is tough. Uh, my ultimate answer to it all is to have the feelings and accept that you have the feelings in any of those stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, allow yourself to have those feelings. It's okay not to be okay. And you hear that from therapists a lot, but it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to, to find out that you've had yet another cancer diagnosis or that your best friend has a cancer diagnosis and feel angry and sad and upset and scared or whatever it is. Allow yourself to have those feelings. That's the creator gave us those feelings for a reason. That, that's what I would recommend you do first and have those feelings. And maybe you don't necessarily want to expose them all in front of your, your coworkers or those that you lead just yet. But give yourself a place to have them is what I would, I would start with. Oh, I love that. That's great. Okay. What else? Well, um, once you have those feelings and you accept that you have those feelings, you, you, you need to be able to talk about them with your coworkers or your subordinates or your family and just have a sit down and say, let me tell you this loss here, this is what I felt. This is what I've gone through. And you normalize it because what, what tends to happen is we all want to protect each other. And sometimes we get a little too protective. I mean, my wife and I just sat down with our kids and they're 18 and they're 20. Um, but you know, we're in week three of this uh, coronavirus uh, shutdown and we know they're used to when they're home, they're socializing with their friends. They're used to being out and going here and going there and going to school. Um, but they've been stuck in their rooms and they've been communicating through social media and what have you. But it's not the same. And we didn't want to assume that just because they're quiet, that everything is good. And so we sat down with them and said, you know what? We don't like this either. You know, We're scared. We're not sure when this is going to end. What do you guys think about it? And we just had a very adult conversation with them all uh, because they're 18 and 20. And what my wife and I decided is, you know what? We're going to have to model for them what it's like to go through a crisis and what it's like to have hope. And so I feel like you should be doing that with anybody that you lead. Uh, even if you're the one with a diagnosis, you're, you're not necessarily supposed to be the emotional strength for everybody, but it's good to be real. And it's good to let people know that it's okay to have those similar feelings and it keeps it from being bottled up and coming out in other ways that, that aren't necessarily healthy. That's a good point. And, you know, one of the things that I've kind of noticed as a uh, cancer survivor and, you know, with my most recent battle, the fact that it's stage four, it's metastatic, it's kind of, you know, spreading in various places. Sometimes people don't know what to say to me. And it's really easy to just kind of pull away and say, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I what if I hurt her feelings? And so they just there's a tendency to just kind of pull back and not want to say anything at all because they'd rather do that than risk hurting me. And I fully understand that. You know, I mean, I've been around cancer. We started Breast Friends 20 years ago, and we've been through much <laughs> with a lot of different people. And I understand that that desire not to hurt somebody. But the problem is when we pull away and we aren't there to talk with them or even ask them, 
you know, anything or be willing to just to open our hearts. And, you know, that's that's hurtful then and it hurts the relationship. And sometimes one of, one of the things I've been trying to just share with people is it's okay to not know what to say. It really yes. is. It's perfectly fine. And I don't know what to say sometimes, you know. But I think that just to even be willing to admit that, you know, and no matter what the loss is or what the, what you're grieving, if you have a friend who's going through something, to just be able to say to them, you know, I, I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're experiencing. I can only imagine in my mind that what you're doing, what you're dealing with is very, very difficult for you right now. And I don't want to add to the pain by saying the wrong thing. So if I do say the wrong thing, please forgive me. Tell me what I said wrong so we can fix it. But understand, I love you, I care about you, and I'm here for you. And I think just those words alone are enough to let the person who's going through this grief, through this loss, to let them know that that they're not doing this alone and that they are loved and they are cared for. And I mean, I don't know if there's some you know, counselor approved message there. But, but I don't know, does that does that feel right to you? That feels very right. It's just to say I, I don't have all the answers and I can't solve everything other than to be here for you. Um, even if you're if you're of the faith and you look in with all that Job went through, his friends simply just sat next to him. That's what they did. They sat next to him while he was going through a part of the grieving and and, and did, trying to understand the loss and sometimes that's the best thing you can do is just to sit next to your friend and just be there physically that way or you know wave whatever it is you got to do that just says i'm here and and that sometimes it's just really the best thing to do is just to be there period yeah and even if you have to sit six feet apart it's okay absolutely (laughs) it's fine i can look at you from six feet apart and convey emotion you know you know some Someday people are going to look back on on old podcasts and old movie clips and news clips, and they're going to go, social distancing, what was that? And right now, it's such a prevalent part of our life at the moment. So, you know, this too shall pass, right? As they say. So, um, okay, let me ask you this question about how how long does it take to grieve a loss? Uh, The the might-be surprising answer is however long it takes. Okay. Uh, your feelings are going to be your feelings, however long it takes. Again, there's are stages and they're not steps. It becomes problematic, though, when your depression, your depression feelings are beyond two or three months. And now you're really not going to work. You're really not getting your, quote unquote, normal function going on in your life. Or you start having symptoms very close to post-traumatic stress disorder associated with your loss. Like you, you absolutely freeze in terror uh, when you go by the bridge that, that somebody lost died and, and it wrecks you. You become extremely hypervigilant and these things start going on for, for several months. At that point, you really need to go seek some help because now your normal function of life is severely impacted. Uh-huh. But as far as the feelings, as far as grieving, there's no really a set time to, to say I'm, I'm, I'm done thinking, I'm done accepting, I'm done in denial. Uh, you know, one example is, is that, uh, you know, my father's been gone for a couple of years, but as time has gone on, I'm learning more and more about resources that could have helped them or could have intervened had they been in place. And so I went right back to that bargaining stage, like, oh my gosh, if this had only been here four years ago, we could have got him this kind of help. And so right when I'm thinking I'm in acceptance, here we go is a memory that brings me back to bargaining and back 
to anger. And then I have to get through that and say, you know what, though, that that wasn't there then. We just have to accept what's here now. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes we can turn <clears throat> some of the loss and, and the grief that we're feeling, you know, if we embrace it, I guess that's the word I'm looking for is embracing what you're going through and what you're feeling. And sometimes you can turn turn some of those moments into something pretty magical. I, I know you mentioned something about taking your son to a concert. Yes. And yeah. t- talk about that because we, we only have, a well, we got about three minutes left. So, so yeah. just tell us the quick version of that and tell us what right. happened there because that's pretty right. cool. Yeah, so unfortunately, they could not make the funeral because uh, there were a lot of things that were out of my control as to when it was going to happen and how much time we had. Uh, so my kids weren't able to go, and we did talk to them. They knew that Grandpa was sick. They knew that things were going on, and then when he passed, we were able to talk to them and help them process their feelings as they did. Um, but they didn't really say too much after that. And so I would say it was three months later, I took my son to his very first uh concert concert you know he's about 16 and it's a band that i was really fond of that grandpa really liked and we were just there and he says i think grandpa would have liked being here for this and i was in tears you know right then and there but yeah it was very emotional but it was something that needed to be said it was something that needed to be talked about and i cried for a minute i was like yeah he would have been here and he would have enjoyed that he's probably enjoying it now and loving watching you enjoy it and so that just kind of re-solidified, you know, what we have as a bond that's come down from grandpa to his father to me to my son. Because I'm a singer, but I don't play any instruments at all. But my son can play five different instruments. And so oh, wow. we had this shared music experience that had been passed down. It was almost like a rite of passage. It's okay, here's your first real concert where you've seen this full-on band and you're already thinking about grandpa and his music. So it was really okay. good. And that was just a way... Um, that you can do to help yourself and help your own family is to find something that honors the loss. That's beautiful. Well, we are out of time. And I'm so sorry because this has been such a great conversation. But for all of you that are listening out there for the first time, or maybe you've been a longtime listener, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends. Let people have the same experience that you're having right now by by letting them listen to it. So talk about it, share it on your Facebook pages and, you know, just, just help us get this word out about our podcast and about our show. Um, also, if you have the ability to go online and make a donation, you can go to breastfriends.org and make a donation in support of our show or any of our programs. You know, everybody's kind of in the same boat right now with a lot of a lot of downturn in the economy and but you know breast friends is going to be fine but if you can help us out in any way that would be beautiful so we thank you so much for listening um paul thank you so much for giving up your time to be with us today and i just want to end by saying we will be back next week and until then remember there's always hope and we are here to help you find it Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.